Good morning. If you, if you have a Bible, please turn uh, to the Gospel of Luke. We are uh, in Luke chapter 21, right at the end of the chapter. Uh, Luke 21, we'll be reading verses 29 to 38. If you're just joining us this morning, I've been walking through the book of Luke. Let me pause there for a second. If you don't have a Bible, slip your hand up. One of our ushers will bring one to you. If you don't have one at home, you're welcome to take that with you. Uh, a gift from us to you. Uh, so I've been preaching through the Gospel of Luke. This is a, a, a story of facts about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're nearing the end. Jesus uh, has made it to Jerusalem. He will be crucified in just a day or two now. Uh, he's been t- teaching regularly there in the temple. We're picking it up now, Luke 21, uh, verses 29 to 38. Let's pray before we read. Father, we do thank you for every opportunity to open uh, your word. We do believe, Father, that you have given this book to us to teach us who you are as creator and as redeemer. We believe, Father, that um, uh, through this book here, we we know the one and only Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. And Father, I just ask now that um, you would open our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit and you would drive this portion of your word deep into our hearts. Father, let us be doers and not just hearers of what we learned this morning. Lord, may you be glorified here as we look into your word now in the name of Jesus. Amen. And Jesus told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day Jesus was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet, and early in the morning, All the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Amen. We're just now coming today to the end of a long teaching from Jesus that started way back in verse 5. This this long teaching is called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus was on the Mount of Olives at this time with his disciples. And throughout this long teaching here, Jesus was talking about future things. Things that at this point in time, in first century A.D., were all still to come. Jesus 
talks here in this chapter about two primary future things. Uh, he talks a lot in this chapter about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And he also talks about his future second coming. A lot of what Jesus says here in this chapter has to do with the destruction of the temple, which at this point in time uh, had not been destroyed yet, uh, but it would soon, uh, about 40 years later in AD 70. But Jesus also talks here in this chapter a lot about his second coming, his future return to earth, which still has not yet taken place. And at this point in the teaching, here at the end, Jesus has recently shifted his attention almost entirely to his second coming. And in the passage that we're looking at here this morning, there is one main point, I believe, that Jesus is trying to make here. One simple message that Jesus is trying to hammer home here. And here's the main point. Jesus is saying this, my second coming is certain. Be ready. My future return to this earth is an absolute certainty. It will happen without a shadow of a doubt. Be ready for it. And as I've said all the way through this Olivet Discourse, Christians have some different beliefs when it comes to the second coming of Jesus. Just how and when everything will take place. And that's fine. But whatever you believe about the future return of Christ, when it will happen and how it will happen, the simple point here in this passage is still the same. The second coming of Christ is certain. Be ready for it. And the first thing Jesus tells us here in this passage is that his second coming is certain. If you look again at verse 29, Jesus says to his disciples here, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and you know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know That the kingdom of God is near. And just picture it. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are on the Mount of Olives here. They're looking out across the Kidron Valley. Jerusalem stretched out in front of them. There's the temple. They're outside on the Mount of Olives. Probably surrounded by trees. Especially fig trees. Fig trees were very, very common in first century Israel. Particularly around the Mount of Olives and on the Mount of Olives. Jesus may have even pointed to a fig tree here. Look at that fig tree tree right there, disciples. Look at all of the trees here, disciples. As soon as you see leaves on trees like those, you know with certainty that summer is near. (laughs) Very simple principle, one we understand very well uh, here in Minnesota. Uh, In the winter here, there are very few leaves on the trees, uh, very few green leaves. (laughs) Anyway, we do have some on our tree that look terrible. Uh, but in early spring, after what typically feels like about six years of winter, uh, you begin to see these first little buds on the tree. I love to see those things on my tree uh, in the spring. And once you see those buds, you know that summer is just around the corner. And in my house, 
with my five little kids who have then been hibernating for months, there is typically been lots of rejoicing in my home. Thank God summer is here. When you see leaves, you know that, you know with certainty that summer is near. And, and Jesus then says here, so also, or in the same way, disciples, when you see these things taking place, you know the kingdom of God is near. And what, what are the things Jesus is talking about there? The, the things that would indicate that the kingdom of God was near? I, I think Jesus was talking about there about the end time signs that he's been giving us here in this chapter. Throughout this chapter, Jesus has been laying out all of these signs that would come before his second coming. He said that before his second coming, there would be false Christs or false Jesus figures in the world. People claiming to be Jesus. He he said there would also be wars and, and earthquakes, famines, disease, the persecution of Christians. And in the passage right before this, Jesus said that that right before his second coming, there would even be a massive universal upheaval of some sort. Signs, Jesus said, in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, people in distress because of the roaring of the waves and the seas, people fainting with fear because of what was coming on the earth. Jesus has been laying out for us here in this teaching all of these signs that would come before his second coming. And Jesus now says, when you see these things taking place, meaning, I believe, when you see these signs taking place, you know the kingdom of God is near. You know my second coming is near. This Olivet Discourse was also recorded in the books of Matthew and Mark. And in their versions of the Olivet Discourse, Jesus says, When you see these things taking place, you know that the Son of Man is near. You know that I am near. You know my second coming is near. The time when I will finally establish the kingdom of God on this earth in its final glorious and consummated form. And man, here, here's the thing about these signs that, that Jesus has been laying out for us here in this teaching. That these signs that would indicate that the kingdom of God was near. Here's the thing about these signs. We've already been seeing a lot of them in our world to some degree. People claiming to be Jesus. Jim Jones, David Koresh. Wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Earthquakes, famines, uh, persecution of believers, ISIS. And you know, you know what all those signs mean? The second coming of Christ is near. And the Bible indicates that, that we will see those signs increasingly in the days ahead, ultimately leading into what the Bible calls a great tribulation. And the more we see those signs in our world, the nearer the second coming of Christ is. When when you see leaves, you know with certainty that summer is near. And when you see these things taking place, you know with 
certainty that the return of Christ is near. Amen. I, I think... I think Jesus here, I think he really wants to impress upon us the certainty and also the nearness of his second coming. If you look at verse 32 again, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, disciples, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will not, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Away, And it is very difficult to know exactly what Jesus was saying right there. Those two statements, particularly that first statement about this generation that will not pass away until all has taken place, that is notoriously difficult to interpret. Commentators would say that that is one of the most difficult statements of Christ to interpret in the entire Bible. Who or what is this generation that will not pass away until all these things have taken place? Christians have come up with a thousand possible answers. And I will not get into it this morning. (laughs) However you interpret this generation right there, I think the main point is pretty obvious. Jesus was trying to impress upon us there the absolute certainty and also the nearness of his second coming. This generation will not pass away until all of this has taken place. This stuff will happen soon and it all will happen. Every last bit of it, the signs, the increasing of the signs and ultimately my second coming, it will all happen. It's near and it's an absolute certainty. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And I think Jesus was referring specifically right there to the words he just spoke in the Olivet Discourse. Every word that I just spoke to you in this teaching here, every last word I just spoke to you about the temple back in AD 70, everything I I spoke to you uh, just recently about my second coming, All of it will take place. Not one word of it will pass away or fail. Every last word will be fulfilled. The signs, the escalation of the signs, and ultimately my second coming, everything I predicted here, it will all take place without a shadow of a doubt. And man, everything that Jesus predicted about the destruction of the temple in AD 70, it did come about just the way he predicted it. And I think Jesus would say to us now, everything I have predicted about my second coming, it will happen just the way I predicted it. And it will happen soon. How soon? God knows. The second coming is near. So that's the first thing Jesus says to us here in this chapter. My second coming is certain, also very near. And the second thing Jesus says to us here, be ready. My my future return is coming. It's near. Be prepared. And man, Jesus, he wants us to be prepared all the time. All the time. All the time. Have you ever wondered why God did not give us a specific day and a specific hour for the return of Christ? You ever wondered that? Well, here's one reason. Because God wants you ready all the time. 
And, and God knows if he gave us a day and a time, we would all sleep until right before that time. And then we wake up, grab a cup of coffee and try to get ready. And he, I, I'm not going to do that. I want you ready all the time. J.C. Ryle says that God wants us to have a perpetual preparedness. Listen, man, every now and then, someone comes around who claims to have figured out exactly when Jesus is returning. (laughs) It's going to happen March 3rd, 2016. I know because the stars are aligning just right. Uh, There's going to be a blood moon. Haley's comet is passing. That's the day. That, that's the day. Listen, don't get into that stuff. Because God makes it very, very clear in his word, in no uncertain terms, that no one knows when Jesus is returning. No one knows. Jesus even says it himself in the Olivet Discourse, in the versions that Matthew and Mark both recorded. Jesus says, but concerning that day and that hour when the Son of Man will return, no one knows. Only the Father knows. Man, so you know what that means? If you think you know exactly when Jesus Christ is returning... Congratulations to you, and you're flat out wrong. And if you happen to guess right, guess what? God's probably going to change the day on you, so then you will be wrong. (laughs) He's not going to let you be right. He wants us to be prepared all the time. From the 1940s to the 1990s, the Strategic Air Command of the U.S. Air Force flew constant missions that were designed to keep Russia from initiating a nuclear attack against the U.S. Fifty years of constant mission missions by the U.S. Air Force pilots. And when those pilots were on duty, they had to be ready to fly at all times. They had to be awake They had to be alert. They had to always be within 100 yards of their planes so they could be airborne with nuclear weapons within seconds of a military alert. A perpetual preparedness. And that is what God wants from us. The return of Christ is certain. His second coming is near, and God wants us ready all the time. And Jesus gives us, he gives us a couple things here in this passage that that we must do in order to be ready for his return. But before we look at the things that Jesus says here, let me first mention something we must do to be ready for the return of Christ that Jesus doesn't talk about here, not in black and white terms anyway. Jesus doesn't talk about it directly here, but it is implied, and he's been talking about it all the way through the book of Luke, and here it is. One thing that you must do to be ready for the return of Christ, you must repent and believe. You, You must 
repent and believe. You must turn away from your sin in repentance. You must trust in and and cling to and follow Christ as your Savior and Master. And the Bible is very clear. If if you don't truly repent, turn away from your sin, and, and trust in and follow Christ in your life, if Jesus is not truly your master, you may say that he's your master. You may say that you are a Christian. If he's not truly your master, you, you're, 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 you're happy to stay in your sin. You, you don't really care to obey him. You don't really care to know what he says. You don't pray. If you've if, if you not truly repented and believed in Christ, the Bible's very clear. The return of Christ Christ will not be a good day for you. Because the Bible says that one thing Jesus will do when he returns is judge. We looked at it last week. Jesus will return in judgment to, to punish the sin of the world. Now, the good news is that God made a way for you to escape that punishment made a way for you to escape. Jesus, the one who will one day come to judge the sin of the world, he first came to die for the sin of the world. Jesus came to earth. He took the sin of the world upon himself. And on the cross, Jesus was punished for that sin. Jesus took the punishment that you and I deserve. And the Bible says that now, whoever repents and believes, trusting in Christ and following Christ, your sins are forgiven. A free and full forgiven. Man, praise God. And when Jesus then returns, he's not coming to punish you for your sin. No, he's only coming with joy and with love to bring you home with him to heaven forever. So man, that that is one thing we must do to be ready for the return of Christ. We must repent and believe. And after we repent and believe initially, after we then begin to follow Christ, after we become a Christ follower, a Christian, a second thing we must then do to be ready for the return of Christ, something Jesus does mention here in black and white terms, we must watch ourselves. You look at verse 34 again. And Jesus just talked to his disciples here about the certainty and near second coming. And now Jesus says, but watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. And listen, Jesus was talking to Christians there, talking to disciples, men and women who had repented and and trusted in him. He's talking to Christians there, and he says, disciples, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down. Pause. It is very easy for Christians to be sinfully weighed down in this life. Very easy. And that is not a good thing. Man, the, the, Bible, the Bible frequently compares the Christian life 
to a race that must be run. Hebrews 12.11, run with endurance the race set before you. 1 Corinthians 9.24, run in order to obtain the prize. The Christian life is a race that must be run. You do not sleep your way through the Christian life. You, you do not slowly meander through the Christian life. You, you do not aimlessly wander through the Christian life. No, God wants you to run. He wants you to run hard. He wants you to run fast. He wants you to run with energy and passion and motivation. He wants you to run with endurance the race that is set before you. And in order to truly run and run well in the Christian life, you must be lean. You cannot be weighed down. Picture a marathon runner stepping up to the line, getting ready to run 26.2 miles. I've never done it, so I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I've driven that far. Uh, Stepping up to the line, I'm going to run this marathon. Here I go, 80 pounds overweight. Standing next to these skinny Kenyans that will run this thing in like 30 minutes. 80 pounds overweight. Weighed down. That person will not run well. And that can very easily happen to Christians. We can sinfully be weighed down with all kinds of things and then we don't really run the Christian race. We barely even crawl the Christian race. And Jesus mentions a couple things here that can easily weigh us down. He says first here, watch yourselves disciples that you are not weighed down with dissipation. That could also be translated as carousing or revelry. You're basically weighed down by the constant pursuit of fun in this life. Always chasing the next great party. Always looking for the next good time. Always focused on the fun in this world with very little sober-minded thought of eternity. No real concern for eternal things. Never really thinking about the return of Christ. No real running to obtain the prize in heaven weighed down with frivolous dissipation. And sure, there's a time for Christians to have fun. Man, coming into the kingdom of God is a party. You're going to celebrate a party in the new heavens and the new earth. So you can have good parties right now, right? To celebrate the, this, what you already have, looking forward to the great party you will then experience. Sure, but dissipation is different. It's not a fun looking to the kingdom of God. It's a fun looking here. Everything here, everything right here, fun in this life, fun in this life, fun in this life, carousing, revelry, dissipation, way down. And Jesus also says here that we should watch ourselves lest we be weighed down with drunkenness. Connected very closely to dissipation 
A lot, of, a lot of revelry, a lot of carousing will often lead to drunkenness. Listen, the Bible never says that Christians cannot drink any alcohol. Now, I know some of you want the Bible to say that. It does not say that. <laughs> the Bible actually says that wine is a gift from God. Psalm 104, God gave wine to man to make man's heart glad. Wine is a gift from God. It's a gift like sun. It's a gift like sex. It's a gift like food. And yes, you can abuse any of God's gifts. You can have sex outside of marriage. You can eat too much food. You can worship the sun. But just because you can abuse God's gift doesn't mean that God's gifts to you are evil in and of themselves. Nope. You can't make the Bible say that. Uh, It is okay for Christians to drink alcohol in moderation, a Christian liberty. Paul encouraged Timothy to drink some wine for his stomach. Jesus, at the wedding of Cana, turned water into wine for the guests so they could drink it. And the Bible says that Jesus turned it into the best wine. Philip Ryken says, Jesus knows the difference between an ordinary table wine and a really good vintage. He knows. And in the kingdom of heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, you will get the really good vintage. You won't get cheap table wine. Praise God. Now you can choose not to drink alcohol. That's perfectly fine. And we definitely don't want to cause other believers to stumble. Paul says don't cause weaker believers. If that's going to be a stumbling block, you get rid of your Christian liberty. You do not do it. Okay? But God never says that Christians flat out cannot drink any alcohol. But God does say repeatedly in his word that Christians should not be drunk. Intoxicated. Losing self-control. Making unwise choices because you've had too much to drink. If you're getting drunk as a Christian, you need to stop. You repent by the grace of God and ask God to help you. If you cannot stop, you have a drinking problem, you need to humble yourself, be honest about it, and get some help. No shame in that. Christians have all kinds of problems. Humble yourself, get some help. Come and talk to me or one of the other pastors. Just do it. But listen, I don't think, I don't, I don't just think it's the drunkenness itself that Jesus is warning us about here. No, I think it's also probably the heart behind the drunkenness. I think Jesus, when he says dissipation and drunkenness, I think he is getting at a condition of the heart. A a, a drunk spirit of sorts. I don't care about tomorrow. It's all about having fun today in this life. No concern for eternal things. No concern for the return of Christ. Just, just a constant, worldly, frivolous type of fun. An internal drunkenness of spirit. Your life filled with dissipation and drunkenness. And you're not running hard. For eternal things. And Jesus also says here. That we should watch ourselves. Lest we be weighed down with the cares of life. Man. The Bible warns us so many times. About the cares of life. If you are not careful. As a Christian. 
You can very easily be weighed down by the cares of life. Your attention can very easily become focused primarily on the things of this life. The cares of this life. And many, many times these cares of life that draw your attention totally to this earth and this life. Those cares of, those cares of life in and of themselves are not always evil. No, they're, they're very innocent things, many of them. Your daily job. You need to work. Just the daily grind of trying to make ends meet. Your money. Your bills. Your retirement. Your vacations. Your cars. Your home. Your lake home. Your family. Your kids. Your kids' activities. Your kids' education. Your grandkids. All of these different cares of life that come at you 24-7. Many of them not bad in and of themselves, but they can easily draw your focus down. Focusing all your attention on the things and activities of this life. And you're not running hard for eternal things. You're weighed down. You're not lean in your spiritual life. No real spiritual motivation. No real fighting and, and pressing in in your, your Christian life. Just, just a meandering of sorts. In your Christian life, a, 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 a crawling, sluggish sort of Christianity. I do think that our church here is probably weighed down by the cares of life a lot more than we realize. I think our self-perception is probably that, man, we're, we're really running. Yeah. But I do think we are probably weighed down a lot more by the cares of life than we realize. We have so much stuff. So much stuff. Money, homes, jobs, cars, kids' activities, grandkids, sports, television programs, movies, computer gadgets, book clubs, health clubs, and on and on and on. Man, and I do think that stuff probably weighs us down a lot, makes us sluggish in our Christian lives, saps our passion and our fervency and our fight to some degree. It causes us to focus primarily on the things of this life. I'll tell you what, over the last five years, Molly and I have become a lot more aware of weights in our own lives, being weighed down by the cares of life. We are seeing it more and more and more right now. We now talk pretty regularly about ways that we can become leaner. Cutting out activities. Your child does not have to do every activity that every one of their school friends does. That doesn't have to happen. Who says that has to happen? It's going to the Lord. What activities do my children do? We're looking at basketball this next year. I can't believe how soon with kids sports now, they get them going every night of the week and Saturday and Sunday too. 
And, and my son Joshua, he plays a little rec league basketball right now. It's just a couple nights a week and a little game on Saturday. But everybody's like, hey, man, you got to get him into traveling basketball because that's all the time and Saturday and Sunday. No, we don't have to do that. We don't have to do it. Way down, man. And just Molly and I talking, cutting things out, cutting our spending. Getting rid of things, trimming away some of the unnecessary cares of life. Man, as Christians, we can be weighed down with all kinds of things. Weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, the cares of life. And you lose sight of the fact that the Son of God is coming back soon. He's at the door. The signs are there. It's near. But you weigh down, you lose sight of that. That the very Son of God is coming back to set things right. Man, it's subtle. And Jesus says, watch yourselves, Christians. Be careful lest your hearts are weighed down. Be careful, Jesus says right here, lest my return come upon you like a trap. And let that land on you a little bit. I'm not much of a hunter. Anybody who knows me knows that. I just didn't grow up doing it. Nobody around me did it. I don't know how to do it. I get out there and throw a rock at something. I don't know how to hunt. I can tell you one thing I do like. I like to hunt mice. <laughs> I like to hunt mice. Whenever mice get in our, our, our shed out back or they get in our garage, uh, you know, I think I walk around the house looking disappointed because I think that's the way you're supposed to look when you get mice. I don't really feel disappointed because I love the hunt. I love every bit about it. I like baiting the trap. I like setting the trap. I like going out the next morning to see if I caught anything in my trap. My kids check it with me. It's a team sport in the Lewis home. <laughs> And I am always surprised at how fast a mousetrap can shut. <laughs> Man, I'm setting the trap, my kids around me, and bang, the thing goes off. <laughs> and I act all cool because my kids are standing right there. But I'm going to be honest with you, that thing scares me half to death when it snaps shut. I jump inside, and Jesus will return like that. Suddenly, the Bible says, like a thief in the night when you least expect it, Jesus is here. And man, I'm telling you what, I do not want to be, when Jesus returns, I do not want to be the Christian who is barely crawling in the Christian life. I, I do not want to be the Christian who is drunk in a corner somewhere. Or just chasing relentlessly after the fleeting stuff of this life, way down. And, and listen, if, if you say you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, and Jesus comes back and laid down entirely with things like dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of life, and you're not actively running the Christian race at all, there's a really good chance that you're not a genuine Christian. And on that day when Christ returns, it really will feel to you like a trap. An eternal trap. 
Man, Jesus says, listen to Jesus' words back from Luke 12. Jesus says that when the master returns at an unexpected hour and he finds a so-called servant of his beating the other servants, eating and drinking and getting drunk, Jesus says in Luke 12 that the master will cut that servant in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Jesus is talking about himself there. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, coming in judgment. And that so-called servant was just exposed as a false servant. Not a genuine Christ follower. Probably says that he is. He may have been baptized as a Christian, but deep in his heart, he's not really a Christ follower, and his actions are showing it when Christ returns. Entirely weighed down and no running whatsoever. Repent and believe to get ready for the return of Christ. Watch yourselves. And one final thing Jesus tells us to do here to be ready for his return stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. Look at verse 36 again. Jesus says, But stay awake at all times, disciples, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Stay awake, disciples. And some of you needed to hear that right here. <laughs> Stay awake. Stay alert. Stay on guard at all times, Jesus says. Watching for the return of of Christ. Waiting for the return of Christ. Alert for his return. Back in Luke 12, Jesus says, stay dressed for action. And keep your lamps burning. And and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. So that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants, Jesus says, whom the master finds awake when he comes. Stay awake. Man, how do you do that? How, how, how do you do that? How do you stay awake in your Christian life? Here's, here's one way. Jesus says here, stay awake praying. Stay awake praying. Man, but prayer is, is one of the primary things that will keep you awake in your Christian life. Prayer is one of the things that will keep you spiritually sharp in your Christian life. Life. It'll keep you running, keep you on the alert, like, like, a, like a sentry at his post. A Christian who is not praying is a Christian who is spiritually sleeping to some degree. Drowsy, sluggish, dozing. You may not feel like you're spiritually asleep. There, there are many of you, I'm sure, that are not really praying right now, and you may not feel like you are spiritually asleep because you're so active. You're running around at your job. You're, you're running around in the church service. You're running around in your life group. You're doing this. You're doing that. You don't feel spiritually asleep. But if you're not praying, you are. 
you are to some degree. Man, if there's one thing the Lord has been driving deeper into my heart lately, it is the importance of prayer. I'm going to tell you, God has been convicting me in many ways about my own prayer life. Man, God tells us constantly in his word to pray. And he doesn't say pray when you feel like it. He just says pray. And he doesn't just say pray. He says pray fervently. He says it all the time. That we are to pray earnestly or fervently. A white hot, energized, pounding on God's door type of prayer. God wants us to pray and to pray fervently. Do we do that? Do we pray fervently? Man, I I know some of us pray at times. I'm very, very thankful for that. But is it a fervent, digging down deep, pounding relentlessly on God's door? type of prayer, praying for one another. Praying for Holy Spirit direction and Holy Spirit power in our life groups. Praying for the lost, praying for the nations, praying for God's glory on this earth. God wants us to pray and to pray fervently. And that right there is is one of the main ways that we stay awake in our Christian lives. Alert, ready for the return of Christ. But listen, man, Jesus, he's not just telling us to pray there in a general sort of way. No, Jesus tells us right there to pray some specific things regarding his second coming. Did you catch it? Look at verse 36 one more time. Stay awake, disciples, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Pray that you may have strength, disciples, to escape or to persevere through all of these difficult end time signs that are Ramping up more and more in the world. False Christs, wars, earthquakes, persecutions. Pray that you will have strength to persevere through those things. Even if it means pain. And maybe even martyrdom for you. Pray that you will have the strength to persevere. And to stand before the Son of Man when He appears. And man, listen. That right there is something that Jesus wants us to do. (laughs) Many of us have probably read over those words right there lots and lots of times. How many of us have actually prayed that? See, it's really deceptive. It's very easy to be a hearer of the word and not a doer. Jesus just gave us a direct command right there. He is asking us to do something specific. So let me encourage all of us to do it. Do it today. Go home. Get on your knees. Do it. Do it. Do it this week. Do it throughout this year. Pray those specific things right there. And, and don't just pray them for yourself or for your family. Pray f- for us. 
Pray, pray for us. Pray that all of us will have the strength to escape. Pray that all of us will have the strength to persevere through the difficult things that will come on this earth. Pray, pray that all of us will ultimately make it and be able to stand confidently before the Son of God when He appears. Pray that all of us will one day hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my eternal joy. And man, your fervent prayers for us, that will help you to stay awake. Stay awake praying, Jesus says. Second coming of Christ is, is certain. An absolute certainty it will happen and it's near. We already see many of the signs. Be ready. Repent and believe. Watch yourselves and stay awake praying. And man, you step back and look at everything Jesus just said there. Jesus is, he, he's trying to say something to us right there. And here it is, I believe. I think Jesus is probably saying this. My second coming, disciples, and everything that accompanies my second coming, that thing will not be easy. If if you think you can just sort of sleep your way through the Christian life, weighed down with all this junk, not really watchful to any serious degree, not really concerned at all with 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 uh, keeping yourself and others awake, not not really stirring yourself up to pray, never praying for God's strength to persevere through to the end. If you think that you will just sort of saunter your way through the second coming of Christ, that thing will be seriously difficult for you. And I think Jesus is saying to us here, be careful that that day does not come on you like a trap. The second coming of Jesus will not be easy. And Jesus is calling us to action here. Lay aside weights. Wake up. And run. And the good news is that every genuine Christian on this planet will make it to the end. Everyone. Every person who's genuinely repented and trusted in Christ, you will make it to the end. You know why? God will make sure of it. He will lose none of his children. But you know one of the ways that God will get all of his children to the end is through warnings like this. Get up. Get up and move your feet. Wake up. Be ready. The Son of Man is coming. It will set like a trap on many people on this earth. Run this race. John Piper says that God gets his children to the end like this. He pulls on you. And you get up and you run. The Holy Spirit works in you through warnings like this. And you then work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So man, may God do that in all of our hearts. Stir all of us to wake up and be ready for the return of Christ. And may Jesus come and smile at every last one of us. And say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we thank you for your word. The truth of your word. We thank you, God. For the warnings in your word, they are so good, Lord. We love going through all the parts of your word because even the warnings are so good for us. So, Lord, I pray you drive it into our hearts. 
pray you would search us now. I pray, Father, wherever we are slumbering, whatever weights we need to get up and get rid of, you'd make it clear to us. Pray, Father, you would convict us by your gentle and loving Holy Spirit. Pray, Father, you would energize us by your loving and gentle Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, for strength that we might all persevere to the end for your glory and our eternal joy. Amen.